It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's time for the BallQuest Mailbag Podcast, answering your questions from the General's Quarters every week, right here on BallQuest. Hey, good Thursday, everybody, and welcome to the BallQuest Mailbag Podcast, each and every Thursday here at BallQuest.com and BallQuest on the YouTube channel. Brent Hubs, we're at 18,000 subscribers and, and some change after a, a strong push on Tuesday night. Are we happy about that? Yeah, absolutely. Keep growing. Everybody keep liking, keep uh, hitting the like button, tell your friends about it, subscribe and be a part of uh, our growing channel. And uh, we're obviously very excited about the the video we produce, the podcast and everything that we do. So, so thankful for everybody's continued support and let's roll on towards 20,000. The more the merrier is what I say, Austin Price, the more the merrier. Yeah. I mean, if you like any of these videos we do, like, you know, get notified the moment we post a new one, you know, and so um i'm with you like you know I, I think we continue just to grow by leaps and bounds and everybody's embraced the video era and here we are and a big reason for that push is because of the VolQuest podcast mailbag podcast and we couldn't make that possible without our friends and their help over at exterior home solutions and they can help you as well getting into those spring months summers right around the corner if you need anything upgraded replaced anything at all in your home exterior home solutions has you covered Give them a call today for a free estimate. That's at 865-524-5888. And you can find them online at exteriorhomesolutions.com. We have got a whole lot of questions to get in here to today. We'll go ahead and start with a really good one. And I know Austin Price is going to be excited about this one. This is from Action0212. Give me the top five recruits you think the Vols will land. Action's I mean, also known by the name Steve in Lexington. Um, I, I can't hear you, Austin. What was that? I, I got nothing for you, Kane. Uh, you know, I mean, top five. I mean, like, who do I think the, the biggest five targets are? Um, like, I think Kamarion Franklin's right up there for me. You're you're, in, you're deep in that one. You, you, there's some there's some Tennessee people around Kamarion that you know, you know um, that I think help the situation from a standpoint of like, you know, Arm just kind of always on the brain. It's kind of like, you know, I'm not going to say it's as deep as it was with Billy Seals and Darnell Wright, but at the same time, it's it's one where I think Tennessee's, you know, going to kind of, the Orange is always going to kind of be around. Um, doesn't mean you land him, but uh, I think it puts you, you know, definitely in the door and, and you're deep in that one. Um, I think Jaden Riddell's another, um, you know, Edwin Spillman, uh, Boo Carter. Uh, and, and then for me, I, you know, I'll go on Mari Jefferson. I, I think, you know, that, that, that to round up my five, and I say I'm Mari Jefferson, and here's why. Because I think, you know, everybody's going to say Ryan Wingo, Mike Matthews, and I think those guys are important. I think it's also unrealistic to think you're probably landing both. Like, I think you, if, you, if you did, that would be I'd be unbelievable if you could land both. And I think you certainly try to do that. But I think in a perfect world, you land one. And that's where I think Amari Jefferson comes in because I think he's a really good player. I think he's very gettable in Chattanooga. 
you're battling Georgia, Alabama, and some of those, but you've got that in-state, uh, you know, you know, pool. Even though he technically, I guess, grew up a, an LSU fan, <laughs> like so. I mean, ultimately, um, you know, I, I think he's important because I think you know he's he's one that I think you can can lock down this summer and and head into fall. Let me rephrase that question real quick, and and you don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but. As we enter the month of May, who are th the top three targets Tennessee might be in the best position with right now? Doesn't mean that they're going to jump in the boat anytime soon, but who who are maybe three or four that Tennessee's in a great position with right now? Well, I think Tennessee's done a good job with Max Anderson, the offensive lineman from Texas. Um, he's going to you know you know officially visit in the month of June. Um, uh, I think Tennessee continues to be in a good spot with Peyton Lewis, running back from the state of Virginia. He's going to officially visit in the month of June. And, uh, you know, uh, number three, I mean, it's hard not to go Boo Carter or Edwin Spillman. Again, those guys have been Tennessee leans for a long time. And, you know, they're taking their time. They're going through the process. They're going to take their visits uh, more than likely. And, uh, and then they make a decision after that. All right, let's go to Routley for Live. What should our expectations be for the uh, following football players in 2023? Uh, Brent, you can lead us off here. Uh, John Campbell, Gabe Judy Lolly, Joshua Josephs, Omar Norman Lott. Well, I think uh, John Campbell better be a starter, or that's that's not a good thing for Tennessee. Uh, that means that wasn't a great transfer take, um, and that means um, Tennessee's got some issues, more issues at tackle than just finding a right tackle. So Campbell better be a starter. Uh, I think. Um, Omar Norman Lott's the guy we didn't talk about probably enough in the spring. I think he's going to be in the rotation, in the regular rotation for Rodney Garner. Uh, Joshua Joseph, the sky's the limit. I think for Joshua Joseph, it's about Joshua Joseph. Uh, how much work is he going to put in this summer? Where's he going to be in the weight gain? Uh, is he getting completely dialed in to being a college athlete year-round and all the things that he needs to do? Um, and then Gabe Judy Lawley, I think, is – what what are you what are you looking at? I, we've talked about Grant that puzzle and and those puzzle pieces in the secondary. Um, how do those play out? The Nico Slaughter seems to make the most sense at one corner. What's the other corner spot look like? Coming out of spring, it was Kamal Haddon. Does Kamal Haddon do everything he needs to do all summer long to remain that? Does does Judy Lawley pass him? I I, I think that one's going to be more interesting to see in terms of exactly where you know Gabe factors into this deal. What are what are our expectations for a Judy 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 on the, the uh, Vol Network broadcast that we had talked about in the past? Oh, I can go. I can work that in. If he's okay. on the field, well, if, can, if you can work that in, he'll get on the field. I mean, yeah, we, we talked about the veterans and the defensive back before uh, on this podcast, and just a matter of trying to figure out, you know, the puzzle pieces to put that together. What, getting your best, however many guys on the field, and if that includes Julie Lolly or not. I guess remains to be seen. If he's half as impressive on the field as he is in a press conference setting, he's got my vote because I don't know I'll anything give, about the kid other than listen to him talk. He's impressive. I'll give it a one percent chance, Grant. That one percent chance of Judy, one, Judy, Judy. Yeah, one percent starts. No, no, one percent that you'll do that on a Vol Network broadcast. Go Judy, <laughs> Judy, Judy. Well, you gonna break my heart like that for? <laughs> We'll go to Upper East Tennessee Vols right now. How is baseball recruiting for next year? Um, according to Perfect Game 2024, uh, recruiting classes, Tennessee sits at the top, followed by LSU, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, and Florida State. A couple 24 uh, commits locally here uh, around the Knoxville area. 
uh, a pair from Farragut High School who are doing really well, all district players this past season. Uh, pitcher Stratton Scott, and he's also the grandson of Bobby Scott. His father also played on the 98 National Championship team, so there's a tie in there. And then uh, Brennan Siegler, who's an outfielder. Uh, those are two local guys. But Tennessee in the class of 2024 up there, and I believe they're top five in the class of 2025 as well. Baseball recruiting, it starts really, really early in comparison to maybe some other ones. Uh, that could also change due to some of the, the new rules. Go ahead. And you get, you get the Loy kid from Pigeon Forge, who's had a terrific yeah. year as well. Yeah, he's uh, as a yeah he he's a class before in twenty three, but gosh, he's the mullet game is strong. Exactly. His 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 pitching stats are super strong. I saw Jesse uh, Smithy tweet out some of his stats the other day. He's had a really really good year. Um, let's go to Athron. Couple of questions here. What's the latest with Emmanuel Okoye? feel really good about where Tennessee's at with that. I would expect him to announce in the coming days. How much of a roller coaster do you expect this recruiting class to be uh, in terms of just uh, you're in it for so many deeper guys and elite players? Well, what you're going to see here is, is again, it's kind of like, you know, everybody, you know, panicked on, what was it, Monday. You know, Rusty comes over from from 24-7, and then the, the Oklahoma rivals comes over to on three, and all of a sudden here comes all these predictions because – they just got here. So they're going to take their predictions that they had at an old place and and and, and make them the new predictions at, at on three because ultimately that gets people talking, right? You know, you, you know, all of a sudden it comes up you know, on three. You know, Oklahoma Insider predicts williams Maneri to, to Oklahoma. No, no new intel there. But I think when you're recruiting against some big-time schools, Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, you name it, like there's going to be a lot of – roller coaster a lot of yo-yoing there's gonna be a lot of different intel it's like i said about you know Jaden riddell yeah georgia feels confident tennessee feels confident and i think that it ultimately is right around 50 50 and depending on which side of the the you know the coin you're on it could be 51 49 bulldogs it could be 51 49 tennessee either way it's super super close and uh, and so I, I do think that there's going to be a little bit of a roller coaster with some of these high-end guys luckily most of them are still going to come off the board in late June, early July after official visits. There's only a few. Mike Matthews, Ryan Wingo are two of them that uh, Nate Frazier running back at modern days and other that I see going into the fall, taking a bunch of official visits in the summer, taking more official visits with the rule change in the fall and kind of being more of an old school recruitment. Most everybody else I still think is coming off in June or July. And then a final one here from Athron Grant. Will Tennessee consider redshirting Nico? I can't imagine that would ever be a situation because he's the backup quarterback. And you're probably not going to bank on him being four years, uh, being here four years or being here potentially five years. I mean, look at what Joe did last year in terms of just, you know, he's playing late against Missouri. He's playing late against whoever. I mean, there's going to be a lot of games later in the year where Tennessee probably has a pretty big lead and you want to get him some snaps. So I think he redshirted a guy that you think is going to be here four years and maybe could benefit from being here five years when you're the number one overall player in the country and a five-star quarterback at that. I don't think there's any need for a red shirt. Volunteered 87. Brent, is the NCAA SEC going to go to the NFL model where they announce kickoff times when they announce the schedule a few months, a few months before the season? Well, there's that talk that they're going to announce those and they're going to eliminate that 10-day window, two-week window deal. But I, I, I don't think – I think I think their model is going to be the NBC NFL model, Grant, and that's flex scheduling 
um, late in the year where you can make that adjustment as you need to. So, no, they're not going to announce, in, in my opinion, 12 start times uh, whenever the, the official schedule is released. Now, could, do you think they could, though, Hubs, do what he was insinuating, which is come out with the come out with the thing, but also do what you're insinuating? So, hey, right now, Texas A&M LSU is set for 3.30 on CBS, but if Texas A&M you know, is not very good, it gets bumped and something else goes to 3.30 later on that way everybody can plan a little bit more is that possible i think that creates more confusion than anything else with, with people um now you're gonna have grant you're gonna have some games that are locked in are, are those preseason picks that happen you know every year um where, where teams lock those in they get announced around sec media days or sometime over the middle part of the summer uh but i just don't see them announcing that many start times now they're trying to eliminate that seven day deal for sure and that's the plan, but I don't think they're going to announce everything preseason. This is a personal attack on me because I spend my Mondays at noon waiting on an SEC tweet saying this is what time the kickoffs are for two weeks from now, and then I'm rushing to figure out if I need to book a car or book a hotel or uh, what, what, kind of, what are the travel arrangements for Baton Rouge if it's a noon game versus a 7 p.m. game. Uh, I, I write 400 words on Sunday night to have that prepared for – Monday at noon. So if they take this away from me, I'm going to have to completely rearrange uh, the start of my week. So it's a personal attack on me, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I think they would like to to do that to get as many many games announced as they can um, in the preseason or before the two week deal, just to make it easier on fans. And I know that's been the plan, and that's what they want to do. At the same time, too, you're getting a gazillion a gazillion, bazillion, gazillion dollars from the from ESPN and your TV contract. If ESPN wants to alter something and put something at night instead of at noon in the afternoon because they're they're two undefeated teams, I have a hard time believing that that, that TV um, influence is not going to be there to be able to move some stuff around. Not, not six days out. We're going to eliminate that. But I, I think you're going to see them still have the flexi- flexibility to move stuff around within their network because of what they're paying the SEC. This next question is from me. Um, how many zeros are in a gazillion, bazillion, bajillion, whatever you said uh, uh, just a second ago? Uh, more than um, more than you and I could ever dream of in our lifetime. Amen, I mean, buddy. There's a whole bunch hang of on. money. Let me get my bank statement. I'll, I'll figure that out. I'll, I'll, count, I'll start counting. <laughs> how, many, how many Peter Millar shirts can I buy for that? You can Mine buy would Peter Millar now. That's right. He can come you to your already house. got a closet full. Listen, you can we already talked about last time. He, he lives in your attic. He I'm really going to give my guy, Scott Mahoney, and, and see if I can get a line, like a, the Austin Price Collection. Mm. Best seller, that's right? Little, that's a little much there, AP. <laughs> Just a bit. Let's move on. Uh, Sam Smith, 2233. Uh, what about this Georgia team should scare Tennessee this weekend? And what are the causes for Seth Halverson's struggles? Uh, as far as Georgia, um, they got a core group of guys in that order that are that are pretty talented. Uh, Charlie Condon, um, Condone is hitting over 400. Connor Tate hitting close to 400, and then Parker Harbor hitting close to 300. All those guys over 10 home runs, 40 plus RBI. Um, you know, the first one's got 57 RBI. So uh, there's a little bit of pop in the heart of that order for sure for Georgia. This is a team that. I mean, it's kind of kind of up and down. You know, dropped a series to, to Ole Miss last weekend. Before that, swept a series to Arkansas. So 
they're capable of beating you, but they're they're kind of all over the place. So I think Tennessee uh, certainly good enough to win this series on the road, taking two or three. But you better come and, and bring your A game, especially with your road struggles. And then for Seth Halverson, I mean, I'm I'm no pitching coach, but you know, and things that I've noticed and things that I've you know kind of asked around about a little bit, some bad luck. He's getting hit hard a little bit, leaving. Uh, pitches up in the zone, um, his off speed, they're not chasing it like they were in the beginning of the season. So it doesn't feel like Tony is too, not upset, but too worried about Seth Halverson, at least the last time we spoke to him on the record about Seth Halverson. So uh, we'll see how he responds, but Tennessee definitely needs to get him going because he's going to be a guy that's going to be counted on. Let's go to Smokey Man 15. Grant, who needs to have an A-plus summer to secure some playing time this fall, in your opinion? Uh, Gabe Judy Lally, we just talked about him. I mean, you need somebody in the secondary. That's him. Go with him. Off the top of my head, I would go. I would go Kamal Haddon because I think it's you know how is Kamal Haddon? How does he handle himself when it's not you know fifteen days of structured spring practice? I, I would go. I would go Kamal Haddon. I would throw Elijah Simmons in there. AP as two guys who flash. You like where you're at with them at the end of spring practice. Can they carry that over throughout the summer to put themselves in, in a place where they're a factor come fall? Well, I agree with both of you wholeheartedly on the defense. I'm going to flip to offense. Whoever is playing right tackle and left guard needs to have a big summer. And, and, and I, they, they need to really kind of make a move. They need somebody, whether that's Andre Carrick, whether that's Addison Nichols playing left guard, whether that's, you know, J.J. Crawford or Gerald Mincy being the right tackle. They need somebody up front to assert themselves this summer and make a move because you would like to have at least some inkling heading into fall camp of, okay, this guy's taking a step or this guy's really progressed. This guy's mentality has changed in spring. If it's literally copy and paste from spring as you head into fall, to me that's a little bit worrisome. Yeah, I was going to go the offensive line as well. Um, if you go back to the secondary, maybe uh, I think that they'll play, hopefully that they'll play more than just the the set five out there, but maybe a Christian Charles going back to safety, um, you know, continue to, you know, get comfortable back with your, your home position after spring, be a guy that can go in there and get, um, you know, Wesley Walker or Jalen McCullough instead of having those guys stay out there for 70 or 80 snaps like in years past. So uh, maybe Christian Charles as well, but I agree with all y'all's as well. Um, let's go to Bill Ingvall. What should the fan expectations be for both Tennessee football and Tennessee basketball uh, next season? Brent, you want to do football and then Grant do hoops? Um, I, I think from a football standpoint, probably nine wins um, is, is probably where I where I start at, um, and and kind of go from there. So that that's where I would I would put Tennessee at right now is is eight or nine wins, depending on how healthy they stay if they find the answers that, that, that they need to find at, at the off- on the offensive line position. So uh, that's where I would probably go, looking at the schedule, looking at where Tennessee's at. I think that Texas A&M game, Austin and I were talking about this on the phone. I guess Austin was yesterday or day before we were talking about it. I think that A&M game, I agree with Austin. I'm going to steal your thunder on the podcast here, AP. Uh, I know that's a shock to you. Um, I think that A&M game is a, is a key game when you start looking about counting wins and where's that at. What is that A&M team? going to be this year and how's Tennessee in that game well for me it's the two it's two games and I told you about both of them it's Florida and I know everybody says they don't have anything I agree but you just don't win in Gainesville a lot so you're gonna win that one you win that one and then the A&M game 
you know, what are they? Do they bounce back? You know, does does the change in offensive coordinator and offensive philosophy and all that is that a does that go, you know, boom as in like because it sounds like a disaster. Yeah, it sounds like a disaster. It sounds like it's going to go boom as in like an explosion, uh, like the the goat that ate the dynamite on Andy Griffith. But it, it it's not. It, 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 who knows? Maybe maybe those two egos can coexist. We've seen stuff like this happen before where, you know, um, one coach t- puts his pride away and, you know, it, it, it clicks and it works. Maybe they are the bounce back team in this league. If not, and Tennessee wins Florida and wins against Texas A&M, I think at that point, nine and three is absolutely bottom of the barrel what Tennessee is. And, and then at that point, you're really playing with house money. Go see what what kind of magic you can make happen the back part of October and November. Grant, before you talk basketball, under that scenario, who's playing the French harp at uh, Texas A and M to get the goat out of town? <laughs> people uh, people forget that they were just they were just making that overpass, blowing up that land so they they could put the road out by the mayor's uh, brother's gas station. That's exactly right. We That's do forget that. You're thing. right. <laughs> Andy was always getting political. If he was one thing, he was political. I think basketball, there's there's kind of a cookie-cutter set of expectations for a Rick Barnes team unless it's like that 1920 team where it's pretty clear going in they're going to be reloading and they're going to struggle a little bit. But well, I mean, so this team, who, who was coaching them in 1920? 19, 2019, 2020. I thought there the we go. same thing. I don't know who was coaching them in 1920. Were they wearing smoky uh, gray back then? They were. Script and everything, and Fulkerson was a sophomore and averaging eight and six. To play off the screen handle that just asked the question, here's your sign. Uh, if you people either love the way too early top 25 rankings or hate them, uh, Tennessee was 17 in ESPN's original way too early a couple weeks ago. They went on that portal run with Don Knack, Chris Ledlin, Jordan Ganey, and they went up 10 spots to number seven. So I think that tells you what they did, what people think of what they did in the portal and how they helped this team. I think they can be better. I think they can be more talented than last season's team. Obviously, you can be more consistent because last season's team was maddeningly maddenly inconsistent down the stretch. Uh, but at the same time, it's college basketball. You can be a better team and not go on a Sweet 16 run like this team did this past season. So I think the expectation is 20-plus wins in the regular season, flirt with that top four in the SEC standings go from there be a be a top four seed in the NCAA tournament do you see them um there's obviously not nobody's expecting Julian and Josiah to really be back um if, if that plays out that way and they have some roster spots do you see them trying to convince a uh someone to reclassify to to get here like DeLeon did but actually being a, a serviceable body I don't know if they'll have spots honestly uh, they got to get to 13 as it is right now. They would have to basically have two roster departures or uh, roster changes or whatever to get down to 12 to have that opportunity to have that scholarship spot like they had uh, with Freddie in in uh, January. So I don't, I don't know who those options would be. I don't know if they'll ever bring anybody in mid-season that they think can help them unless it's a situation like Santi was a few years ago where he had to play because Lamonte had that surgery and suddenly you're really hurting there in the backcourt. So I think it would take a very special situation. Didn't Ziegler reclassify or am I misremembering? Uh, he reclassified in August, though. It wasn't in January. It was – That's what I'm was, saying. Do you think anybody could reclassify this summer? Like they could – Oh, um, no. Not that I've heard of at the moment. And again, they've got to make room numbers wise. Now, Rick Barnes says the numbers are going to take care of themselves, but right now they got numbers that they got to work. You got, with. you got about 
you got about eight days to take care of yourself numbers. So let's get to work. Get to it. We got plenty more questions to get into here on the uh, VolQuest Mailbag podcast. But first, Austin Price, a quick word from our friends over at Exterior Home Solutions. You know, life happens, and damage to your home can be extremely stressful. That's why it's important to find someone who offers efficient, quality work with financing options. Exterior Home Solutions, they value not only family, but community. And they're who I call when life happens, and you should too. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're proud to have you here on the uh, VolQuest Mailbag Podcast. Thanks for being here. And uh, we'll just continue to roll on. Kind of on that note with expectations for the football season, Vol Slater wants to, set, wants to know, uh, chances the Vols enter the Georgia game next season undefeated. And I mean that that's that's a tall task when Georgia's the second to last game on the schedule. Games we've already kind of mentioned at Florida. It's always tough playing in the swamp. Home game against South Carolina. That that's that's notable because of what happened last year off week. Texas A and M at Alabama at Kentucky. Um, I'll go ahead and say Tennessee likely won't be undefeated. Austin by the time Georgia rolls around. Uh, if you are, then heck, that's a that that is a really really good season. If I if, well again, if I'm a Tennessee fan, it, that's okay. You just don't need them yep. with too many losses. Um, you know, um, you know, if if they roll in there with just one loss, I mean, that means you're playing for the East. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm going to say they're not going to be undefeated. You might be undefeated at home by the time the Georgia game gets here. Like like Brent said, because it's that Texas A and M game basically that hinges on that. But no, I don't think as a whole, going to Florida, going to Alabama, you know, just kind of going to Kentucky, the schedule you have is going to be tough. Going to be, you know, you're going to slip up at some point. It's going to be tough to beat Alabama twice in a row after not beating them for however many years it was. Yeah, this year's on the road. I agree with you though. Great chance of being undefeated at home. South Carolina and A and M, the two uh, biggest games at Neyland Stadium prior to that. But uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, Dalval 14 will NFL scouts view Joe Milton the same way as Anthony Richardson brand, you know, from a physical makeup and, and high ceiling. I, you know, I don't get the love affair for, for Anthony Richardson. Um, and, and that's not a knock on Joe Milton. I don't, I'm not trying to say that. It's just, I think when you're a career 53% passer going all the way back through your high school days, there's to me, there's accuracy concerns. Will people fall in love with Joe Milton's arm strength? Absolutely. Uh, but, I mean, I think the biggest thing that, that Joe's going to have to show is um, consistency, game in, game out. I think this was an unusual draft. We'll see what the draft looks like next year. Everybody's always looking for a quarterback. But you had 
really three teams this year in the draft grant at the top of the pecking order. Of course, Carolina traded to get up there who were just in desperate need of a quarterback that the Colts had no other options. They had to take a quarterback in the draft. Obviously the Texans had to have a quarterback and the Panthers had to have a quarterback. Do we see three of the top five teams in the draft next year? Do we see it that quarterback heavy at the top of the draft where somebody really takes a leap out on somebody high up in the draft like the Colts did with Anthony Richardson? No, probably not, just because it doesn't feel like that happens every single year. Uh, it feels like that's definitely more rare uh, than common. I think physically, sure, you can connect some dots with, with Anthony Richardson and Joe Milton. Joe Milton's also two years older. Joe Milton's also, you know, he's transferred. He's sat. He didn't win. A, he won a job. And then he Hidden Booker took over when he got hurt. I mean, Anthony Richardson played, and he was basically the man from the time he took his first snap. I think we'll look at that differently. And, and yeah, like just the, the passer, you know, rating and the stats and just the, the arm. I mean, the arm strength, obviously, like Brent said, it's there, and, and people are going to drool over that during the pre-draft process a year from now. But at the same time, what's he look like this season? You know, his completion percentage, you know, how many different throws can he make? Uh, how consistently can he do it? I think that's going to be the biggest factor with him, uh, along with his age and the fact that he's just a couple years older. And remember, Austin, it just takes one team to fall in love with you, right? That's right. It just takes that's one. And, and again, like, you know, if he has a good year, he's going to, to rocket up boards because physically he's going to offer what teams look for. I mean, again, it's, it's why college coaches fall in love with, you know, an extra half inch or an extra tenth off of 40 time or whatever. They, they, everybody, it's, it, no matter what level of football, you're always trying to find that prototypical player. And Joe Milton is that type of prototypical player. If he has a good year, he'll go rocketing up, passing several of these quarterbacks, in my opinion. Not all of them, but several of them. AP, let's stay with you. Vols 1024 wants to know um, how Gerald Mincy was this spring. Obviously, he is a huge topic of conversation because – uh, Tennessee's looking for a tackle opposite of John Campbell. He's making the switch from left to right. Um, how did Gerald Mincy do this spring? Well, he was pouty early in spring about being at right tackle. He didn't want to play on the right side. He wanted to stay on the left side. Um, truth be told, it was Darnell Wright who offered to move to the right side last year. So, you know, it wouldn't rock any boats on the other side. Now, not that luxury this year. So, uh, Mincy's moved over. I think he was better towards the back end of spring, but I'm not sure he's ever going to be just this all-world player. So, you know, again, to me, can you find a combination of he and J.J. that are, you know, that can kind of patch it together over on the right side opposite John Campbell? I think that's probably what you're looking for again. It's where you were last year. And, again, no year's the same. Of course, things were different. You had Hooker at quarterback. You had Darnell right on the other side. But the nation's number one offense had patchwork at left tackle all last year. Again, love the nation in offense, so we'll see. Uh, let's go Brent here, Nashville, 615. Final SEC schedule predictions for Tennessee ahead of the spring meetings in Destin. As um, At the end of this month, that's the expected, um, I guess, timeline, if you will, for an announcement uh, for the future of the scheduling in the SEC. Well, I think they're going to go with the 6-3 model. Um, I think Alabama – and Vanderbilt will be two of the three. And then I think it gets back down to whether or not they want to go with the tradition-laden um, games or if they're going to try to come up with some formula that, that says, hey, this makes it more balanced, and they end up taking South Carolina as the third opponent for Tennessee over Kentucky. 
but I think Alabama and Vanderbilt are locks for two of the three. And I think the third one comes down to whatever formula the conference office decides to come up with that they think makes it, you know, balanced and, and fair. But I do think it's going to end up being the 6-3 model grant. Harder or easier, I would assume easier moving forward than what Tennessee's been used to the last however many years it's been Florida and Georgia and Alabama uh, every single year uh, guaranteed to play it on the road against those teams or, or whatever. I think it's I think the only kind of mode moving forward would be easier. Am I wrong thinking that? No, I think I think for Tennessee, whether it's South Carolina or Vanderbilt as your I mean South Carolina or Kentucky as your third team. Austin, to get out of that gauntlet of playing Alabama, Georgia, Florida every year, which nobody else in the conference has had to do every year, it's a win for Tennessee regardless of who that third opponent becomes. It is. I mean, ultimately, you're going to play, you know, Alabama and Georgia every other year, but you're not playing them every year. And those are the top two teams in the league. They've been the, you know, two of the top teams, you know, two of the top two or three teams in the country for the last, you know, five or six years, even before Georgia's, uh, back-to-back national titles, uh, you, you know, Georgia was ascending. So, you know, uh, again, getting Georgia off the schedule every year is, is a nice perk. Now, again, you know, is a huge drop-off? No, because you're going to add other quality teams that you maybe not have been playing every year or every couple of years um, to the rock or to the to the schedule. But at the same time, I think it, it's definitely a help, and it makes the schedule – for everybody else in this league, a little more difficult when, you know, they have to play Georgia now every other year. Yeah. I mean, it's, it should be hard in this league. Nobody should have a, nobody should have an easy walk through this league. And, um, you know, and I think that's why the league is so concerned, Eric, about balancing who those three uh, opponents are, you know, what, what is the best looking balance when you evaluate the last 10 years, 15 years of it, how do you balance this thing out? I think that's why the league's taking so long with this. Yeah, I think they're trying. There were like three different things that are going into the three permanent opponents, uh, trying to preserve history and rivalries, uh, trying to make it as fair as possible, and something else. Um, and I think you take care of trying to preserve, you know, histories and rivalries with, with the first two, right? I mean, again, you can only you can only do so much. So we'll see what it looks like. I believe the last thing Ross Dellinger put out there a couple months ago, kind of on this, and he's he's been around this story the entire time was. Uh, that third opponent was going to be South Carolina for Tennessee, so uh, we will see. Pine wants to know, Grant, won't you lead us off here? What is your way too early SEC East rankings after spring practice? Georgia, uh, and then Tennessee, and then who knows what? I don't know. Vanderbilt. I think it's either South Carolina or Kentucky. After that, right? I agree with Austin where he said, you know, it feels like every time this year, Florida, the sky's falling and everything's going wrong. And when Tennessee plays them, they're pretty tough in September. Uh, and regardless of what happens from there, the rest of their season. So going to Gainesville, obviously, is going to be tough. But it does feel like Georgia. It feels like Tennessee. Then it feels like who knows where Florida mixes in with uh, Kentucky, South Carolina, Missouri. Uh, I think Vanderbilt's going to be pretty bad because it's Vanderbilt. AP, I would go Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, Florida, and then Missouri, Vanderbilt. What, what would you say? I would have South Carolina third. Um, yeah, and that's fair. They're 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 more steady at quarterback now. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, Kentucky brought in the kid from NC State. Um, you know, Leary, good solid player. But again, like Kentucky's lost, uh, you know, some key pieces. But I I don't, I don't think there's going to be this hard fall off. I just think Kentucky's road. Now that the league is going to be, you know, expanding and, and going to this model that we just talked about, 
it gets far tougher for, you know, for Stoops to get to that magic number to get the rollover contract and all that stuff and the bonuses and all that, that he's, he's just had a cakewalk to the last several years, especially with Braum back at Louisville, because that's another, that becomes more of a coin yeah. because Braum's a really solid football coach. Well, then that, that beckons that question too, AP, what is the league going to put, what is the league going to say in regards to that power five rule that you got to play a power five opponent non-conference? Are they going to scrap that? when they go to the nine game model, that's going to be an interesting debate that I think is probably not talked about a whole lot with the sec spring meetings, because everybody's talking about three common opponents and that's kind of where it's at, but that power five clause, does it remain in effect or does it, or does it go out the window? It's going to be an interesting game. And and will teams, if they scrap it, sorry to jump in front of you, but if they scrap it, will teams decide to say, Hey, I'm still going to play that. Like Georgia playing Georgia tech year in and year out. That should be okay for Georgia, right? But South Carolina, Clemson, Kentucky, Louisville, um, so, some of these other ones. State. Some teams might decide to keep doing it, also. Maybe, but uh, you know, coaches, coaches are going to push to not do it. Oh, you I know, agree. Administrators are going to say, "Man, we get a you know, like atmosphere gate, you know, tickets. You know, it makes more sense to play Florida State than it does, you know, FAU. Let, let, let's keep playing FSU. Um, you know, but Hubs is right. Like when we get you know, to spring meetings, there's going to be that. It's going to be the eight and eight and zero model. Nobody's going to pick that. It's going to be a nine game schedule. So it's going to be nine and zero or nine and one. And in my opinion, based off talking to people, the, you know, the, con- the, the, the TV contracts are going to really push hard for nine and one because they've been getting eight and one, which means they were getting nine games. If it's just nine and zero, they're not really getting anything more. So like they're going to push hard for the nine and one model. And I think that's, you know, where, you know, it's going to get interesting because coaches are going to want nine and zero. Yeah. And when, what, and, what, you know, what are going to want nine and one. Yeah. To, for, for everybody to understand what that means, it's different than the six, three. So I don't want anybody to get confused on the numbers. Okay. Nine and zero would mean nine conference games and the zero would mean you play no power five opponent. Or you don't have to, you don't have to play. You don't have to. Right. The nine and one model would be you're making and adding a conference game, but you're keeping that clause in that says you have to play a power five opponent every year in the contract in, in the, in your scheduling as well. And again, lots of money grant on TV, this TV step in and say, you know what? Nine conference games is great. All right. But we were getting nine quality games every year out of teams because they were playing eight conference games and the one power five, we're going to give you $75 million or whatever the number is going to end up being to each individual school. We want 10 quality games, not nine quality games. That's going to be the debate that comes out of Destin. That's going to be fascinating to keep an eye on. And I think the money is what's going to win that debate because two, you know, two versus three in terms of, you know, kind of garbage games or, or premier games, uh, you're going to take the premier games. You're going to take as many power five. And it's going to be a new look SEC with Texas and Oklahoma, and they're going to want to see what they look like against other conferences. In my opinion. Well, I mean, and you've seen Texas schedule Michigan. You know, Tennessee's recently right. in the last year has signed up for a trip to Washington in, in what, 2031 or whatever it is, um, you know, which is way on down the line. But the point is, you know, Tennessee still has that trip to Nebraska. If that if, the, if it goes 9-0, like Nebraska goes away, Washington goes away, in theory. They didn't have to. But, I mean, no coach is going to sign up for those kind of games. The coaches are going to push one way. The admin are going to push another and at the end of the day, I think it's, you know, because the coaches will get told, hey, it's a lot easier to make the playoff now. You have 12 teams instead of four. So you can you can play that extra power five game. 
let's also not forget the uh, Syracuse and Atlanta in a couple of years. And, you know, let's throw it back to 2018. Yeah, I'm let's just go talking back. about traditional home and homes. I don't talk yeah. about the stupid games that these ADs book. It's, these, let's, <laughs> go, let's go back to Charlotte and play West Virginia because we ain't done that in recent memory. Yeah. And so stupid. JG still feeling the ill effects of that, uh, that missed block on the first play. Money talks, fellas. Money talks. All right, let's let's get through a couple more here, and then we'll call quits. Fall for a live TP. Um, AP, about what time does Brew McCoy run, I would assume, in the 40-yard dash? And how does Dante Thornton compare to Jalen Hyatt and route running and ability after the catch? Um, I think Brew's a 4-5 kind of guy. As for Dante Thornton, I mean, do we really know what Jalen Hyatt was like after the catch? Because every time he caught the ball, it was wide <laughs> open. So he didn't really have to make anybody miss. I mean, like, and I think that was part of the the kind of the the question about him in the NFL is what are you like after the catch? You know, when you catch a ball at eight yards, you know, what are you like? There a lot of those plays where he was just wide open. And and and, and some of that speed, some of its scheme, um, you know, Dante Thornton is just taller. I mean, Dante Thornton is six foot five, a legit six foot five. And, you know, um, as far as route runner, I didn't see enough of him out there this spring to be able to judge him as a route runner. So that part I can't tell you about. I mean, we saw him out there for a few practices, then he would, you know, miss. But I, you're out there such a small amount of time. It's not like I studied him to, you know, say, oh, I think he runs a great route. I'm gonna make a bold prediction. He's gonna be ten yards behind somebody against Virginia in the opener in Nashville. I don't disagree with that. In the first quarter, he's gonna be ten yards behind somebody. Now I don't know what that translates into how great of a season he has, but he's gonna be ten yards behind somebody early in that football game in Nashville. Is, is, I think I think it was the South Carolina game, 2021. I think it was Javonta Payton that got behind the secondary. And that's when it just, like, dawned on me, like, how does this just keep happening consistently? And it just hasn't stopped. I was going to say, is it going to be a Javonte Payton situation where they go to him, play number two of the game, and then hopefully no, it won't I be because they never looked his way again? No, I don't think it'll be that way. No, Thornton's going to be in the slot, and the slot yeah. gets a lot of lot, gets a lot of balls thrown thrown his way, and it, and it is a factor there. But um, Brent, this is kind of the third. Sorry to cut you off. This is kind of the third straight year where you have a different body top in the slot. It's very unique. Well, and I think they'll split time there in the slot this year. I mean, you're going to yeah. have two vastly different body types this year in the slot on the same team. When you talk about playing Squirrel White, you talk about playing Thornton. Um, I mean, that's a very different. And that, and I think Josh Heupel can use that to his advantage, uh, particularly if you can keep those. If you got those guys on the field, if if one of them could play enough outside, that you could switch them up. Because if you're the safety, you know, and and you've got man coverage there, you're worried about Dante Thornton doing something different than what Squirrel White's going to do for, to you in terms of routes and things that they run. So I think it gives Josh Heupel a lot of uh, and Joey Hosley a, a lot of creative opportunities by playing two vastly different size or type players in the slot spot within the same year. You're right. I mean, Bayless Jones was very different than, than Jalen Hyatt year one to year two, but this will be unusual in having two guys in the same year that are very different. All right, last one. Let's go to Vol Nugs 1421. What is the biggest thing Nico needs to work on this offseason following spring practice? And you can't say learning the system. Uh, I think it's just – you know, he has a tendency to miss high. You know, uh, you, you watch any of his throws in practice, and when he missed, he missed high. And I think if he gets that more in control, I don't know if that's 
elbow angle, if it's how he steps or what it is. Um, but if they get that corrected, I think then watch out. Yeah, I would agree speed. with all. Speed, can I go speed? Go ahead, yeah. Ubs, go ahead. Go ahead, Grant. You go speed. Can I go speed of the system? Is that uh, Can I get a ruling on that, Kane? Uh, yeah, I mean, operating the offense, the tempo, sure. That's not knowing the system. That's operating it, so yeah. I mean, I think that's the, that's going to be the biggest adjustment for anybody that tries to step into this offense, especially a quarterback, because you have to make such quick decisions, and you have to get to the point where you're not thinking about those decisions. You're just making them. I mean, what, that's what Hinton Hooker did so well is he, he – Read, he made his reads, and he got rid of the ball instantly. Uh, I think, Nico, any freshman coming into the system, especially quarterback, that's going to be the biggest uh, jump. That's going to be the biggest hurdle to make. Yep, I agree there mentally, and then I agree with Austin physically, particularly on the outs. I, I thought if you, if there was one throw that was high this year or this spring, it was the out the, the out patterns. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know if that's a fundamental thing. I don't know if that's him just t- trying to overdrive the ball. It's not like he missed all of them, so I don't want somebody listening to this going, oh, my gosh, he's just an inaccurate passer. I don't think that's the case. I just don't think he was as consistent with that throw as you would like for him to be, and that's something physically I think that that he can work on and improve on this summer. The VolQuest Mailbag Podcast that is presented each and every week by Exterior Home Solutions. Go ahead and give him a call today for a free estimate. That number is 865-524-5888. You can find him online for any home solution needs that you need. That's exteriorhomesolutions.com. For Awesome Price, Grant Ramey, Brent Hubbs, I'm Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys for sending in those questions and for joining us here on the BallQuest Mailbag Podcast here on this Thursday morning. You've been listening to the BallQuest Mailbag Podcast every week right here on BallQuest. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.